Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, you're good to us in every way. Lord, we, we, we deserved judgment before we came to Christ. But you've shown us mercy through Jesus Christ. You've shown us grace when we didn't deserve it. Lord, thank you. You are truly good. And we love you. And we praise you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. This morning, we're continuing our verse-by-verse study through um, 1 John. And this morning, we find ourselves in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. So let's read. Um, before we read that, I want to give you some introductory remarks. Have you ever questioned your salvation? Have you ever questioned your salvation? Have you ever wanted to know for sure if that you, that you are truly saved? I have in my life, in my 20 years of being a Christian. There's been seasons and times in my life where I've examined myself and said, you know, am I truly following Christ? Have I truly become born again? And that's a good place to be. Because I've heard many say within the church, you should never question your salvation. But that's not what scripture says. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, that we should examine ourselves. We should just take a look at our life, take a look at what we believe, and make sure it aligns with the scriptures. So again, the title of my message this morning is Assurance of Salvation. Okay? When you and I step into eternity, we want to hear those words from Jesus that goes something like this. You know me, I know you, enter in, good and faithful servant. What could be more tragic than to go to church every Sunday, to go through all of our religious duties and our rituals, then in the blink of an eye, step into eternity, stand before the throne of God and hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you. That is tragedy. And I don't know about you, but in my walk, in my life, I want to know today. I want to know now in this life that I possess eternal life. And my friend, I heard a preacher say one time, well, you just can never know. That's not true. You can know. Because 1 John um, chapter 1, chapter 2, pretty much this whole epistle that John wrote, tells us that we can know. You don't have to live in doubt. You don't have to have questions. You can know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are in fellowship with Christ and that when you step into eternity, you'll hear, hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's what we want. And the truth that, that John is conveying in this epistle is that you and I can know and have the assurance that we are truly saved. You can know. So tonight, this morning, family, let's look up under the hood of our hearts. You look up under your hood, I'll look up under my hood. You look at your heart, I'll look at my heart. And let's examine ourselves and make sure that we're walking in the truth and that we have assurance of eternal life. That's why God inspired 1 John for believers throughout the entire New Testament period to be able to look under the hood, examine themselves, and make sure that they have eternal life. So let's take a look at it this morning. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. 
But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself, verse 2, he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now, the first thing we see here is, how many of you heard this word, advocate? If you go back to John chapter 14, Jesus uses this same Greek word, parakletos, to refer to the Holy Spirit as the comforter, as the one who encourages us. But in the context of the chapter we're looking at this morning, this word advocate has a different meaning. Has a different meaning. This word advocate, the parakletos, means defender, lawyer, or attorney. You see, Jesus is our defense attorney who represents us and defends us in God's court of law. So he is an attorney. He is a lawyer that represents you. And he hasn't charged you anything. It's a free lawyer. We like free lawyers. And here's the cool thing. He's better than Alan Dershowitz. He's better than Alan Wilson. And he's a whole lot better than Johnny Cochran. He is the absolute best lawyer ever. And his name is Jesus Christ the Righteous. And by the way, this defense lawyer that we're talking about this morning, he has never lost a case. So if you want a good defense attorney, you want a good lawyer, get this lawyer. Because he has a 100% success rate. And this is the kind of lawyer we need. You see, in a court of law, a defense lawyer attempts to prove his client's innocence by one of three ways in a human court of law here on earth. Number one, they try to prove their client's innocence by one, the evidence. A lawyer tries to point the jury and the judge to, to the evidence, to alibis, to, to witnesses. The second way uh, a lawyer tries to uh, clear his client's name is by reasonable doubt. If they can sow doubt into the mind of the judge, if they can sow doubt into the, the mind of the jury that there's a reasonable doubt that this person might not have done it, that person can be found innocent in a court of law. The third reason, this reason none of us like, is they can try to prove a client's innocence by reason of insanity, that he's crazy. Well, I'm here to tell you, family, those are the three main reasons in a court of law here on earth that a, a, a lawyer will try to defend his client. But Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous, he will not try to prove our innocence uh, by evidence or reasonable doubt or reason of insanity because unlike a slick-talking lawyer, Jesus knows that every man is guilty. And Jesus, the righteous, will not lie. But G and Jesus will always tell the truth. Okay? Because he is the perfect righteous lawyer that will represent you. So what can Jesus do in God's court of law? Or what can Jesus do in a court of law that a human lawyer can't do? Jesus, our defense lawyer, can say to the judge of the universe, God the Father, I will pay the price and I will take the penalty for his or her sin. Look at verse 2. And that's where John is going in the beginning of verse 2. After he says he's our advocate and he's a lawyer, the opening of verse 2, he says what? He himself is the what? The propitiation. The propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is divine justice. 
What is divine justice? What is propitiation? It's simply this in, in layman terms. You broke the law. Jesus paid the fine. So this lawyer looks to the judge and says, Your Honor, he's guilty, but I will pay the price. I will go to jail for him. I will pay the fine for him. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where he says, God, He, talking about the Father, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus was the Lamb of God placed on the cross to satisfy divine justice. Okay? God will deal with all sin, okay? And it will, it will be dealt in one or two ways. It will either be dealt with the person's soul in eternity in hell, or it will be dealt with at the cross. That's why we try to convince men to put their trust in Christ, because he will pay the price for them at Calvary and wipe the slate completely clean. That's what we mean when we say, when we say to people, Jesus died for your sins. Think about that simple statement. Jesus died for your sins. What is it? Why does he need to die? Why can't God just forgive? Because God is good. God is just. God is righteous. And he must deal with sin. Imagine a lawyer, excuse me, imagine a judge in a court of law today, a guilty person going before them, and the judge just letting them go. What would you say about that judge? He's corrupt. Justice must be dealt with. And in God's divine, eternal court of law, Jesus paid the price at Calvary for you and I as our defense lawyer to pay the price so that you and I could be completely forgiven. And sin has been dealt with. Sin has been punished. Sin was punished and dealt with at the cross. You and I are cleansed of all sin by the sacrifice that Jesus made at the cross. So I'll call it the great exchange. I've heard me mention that from time to time. When you put your trust in Christ, God the Father takes all your sin, all your baggage, and he places it on Jesus on the cross. And then he takes Jesus' perfect righteousness and places it on you. And we have perfect righteousness. So the first truth, I'm going to give you a truth and a question. The first truth that we see as we look at our assurance of salvation this morning is this. The truth is this. Jesus died on the cross as the payment for your sin. And, according to verses 1 and 2, he is your advocate before the Father. He is your lawyer. So here's the test question for you. In the assurance of eternal life, number one, are you trusting in the death, in his death on the cross, as the payment for your sin? If you are trusting in his sacrifice at the cross for your sin, and, according to verses 1 and 2, that he is your advocate, he is your lawyer before the Father, that is the first assurance of eternal life. You see, we have to put our trust, we have to put our faith in him. And that's what we mean when we say we're putting our faith and our trust in Christ, is that we're trusting in his sacrifice at the cross to forgive us of our sin. So that's the first test. Are you trusting in the sacrifice? And do you understand that you're in the shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ? That the eternal Son of God is representing you before a righteous and holy Father. Okay? 
Jesus didn't come into this world to give us love, joy, peace, and lasting happiness and to experience God's wonderful plan. Although some of those elements may be true in our Christian life, the ultimate reason Jesus came into this world was to make a way for you and I to be forgiven. And the only thing that you and I got to do is put our faith in it and put our trust in it. That's the first test on the assurance of eternal life. One time I was at a church, and me and Irene went to church one Sunday, and we went to service, and later on that evening, I went out to Five Points with some friends, handing out some gospel tracts, doing some witnessing, and, and I witnessed this gentleman doing some things. I was like, whoa, I know that guy from somewhere. I know that guy. I kept thinking, I know that guy. And um, he was in need of being witnessed to. And uh, I, I, I told Irene that night, I said, I know that guy. I went, and then it finally dawned on me, that was the usher at church this morning. That was the guy that was passing the offering plate at the church we went to this morning. And um, so I, 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 I started a friendship with him. And a couple weeks later, I, I finally asked my friend, this guy's an usher in a church. I was like, dude, I say, how do, how do you know you're a Christian? I'm just curious. You know, I've been studying First John. How do you know that you're a Christian? He said, um, how, do you, how do you know that you have eternal life? He said, I go to church. I go to church. And I was like, Bro, we need to get into the Word. And I had the joy set before me of sharing with this brother, this friend, how Jesus, it's not about going to church. It's not about giving. It's not about doing this or doing that. I, got, I had the joy of being able to explain to this gentleman, it's about trusting in Christ. And this gentleman bowed his heart and surrendered to Christ after our conversation. We need to understand that, man. In the church world, in the Christian world, we put so much faith and confidence in our, our church attendance, our giving, and all the things that we do. And all those things are important. Don't, get, don't misunderstand me. But your salvation, there's nothing you can do for salvation. All you can do is trust in Christ. Let's continue. Verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his words in him, the love of God, has truly been perfected. By this, we here it is, look at the end of verse 5. By this, we know that we are in him. You see, friends and family, obedience. Obedience is the evidence of our faith. Faith is more than a mental assent to truth. It's a trusting, it's a believing, but right behind that trust and belief is an obedience. This is, Lord, I want to obey you. I want to do what your word says. And if, if, according to verse 4, if you claim to know him but you don't obey him, Scripture says you're a liar. This, it says you're a liar. You see, the, the emphasis of the New Testament is this. In all, in all the letters, you know, it, obedience and faith cannot be separated. You cannot separate the two. Jesus said in John 14, 15, Jesus said these words, If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. Later on, this is the evening before the crucifixion in the upper room with his disciples, Jesus said in John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. See, love, faith, and obedience 
They all go hand in hand in the same glove. Now, does this mean that you and I are perfect? No. Remember what we looked at last week? Look over at 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay? So no one's perfect. And Christians blow it along the way. But there's this heart's desire to obey him. There's this moving forward in obedience. What this means is we make obedience to God our top priority. You put your faith in the Lord, you trust in him, and then obedience. The scripture talks about sanctification, growing in our walk, growing in our faith. You know, we don't, we don't just receive Christ and check that box and then live out our life. Then we pursue obedience. We pursue following him with all of our heart. We obey the Lord because he is good. And our obedience proves that our faith is authentic. So the second test on the assurance of salvation. The truth is obedience is the evidence of our faith. The test question for number two is this. Do we keep his word? Well, Pastor David, what are you talking about? What, is, what does it mean to, to keep his word? It, it, it's, it means that we love his word. We love his word. We treasure his word. We meditate on his word. We live by his word. We obey his word because it's life to us. Where else can you go to find the words of eternal life? Than in the word of God. And we, lo- we love this word. And also not only do we love it, believe it, obey it, but we defend it. Because you cannot separate your allegiance to God from your allegiance to scripture. They go hand in hand. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God. This is God's love letter to you. This is his personal word to you that describes the relationship that he wants to have with you. It's about loving him. It's about trusting him. It's about obeying him. We need to do all those other things in life, you know, and helping people and church attendance and giving and and helping our neighbors. But the bottom line, the foundation is, do we love God? Do we trust him? Do we obey him? And, 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 And also, you know, I'm not teaching sinless perfectionism because no Christian is perfect you struggle with sin I struggle with sin and in this area of obedience uh, in the areas that we fall short in our obedience we fervently pray God please give me victory in this area and we take that area that we're struggling in and we're constantly bringing it to his throne of grace we're constantly going through discipleship and getting accountability and talking to our brothers and sisters in Christ about holding us accountable and helping us grow So we, for the areas that we need. But look at the end of verse 5 again. I kind of emphasized it when I read it. But at the end of verse 5, he says, by this, by this, talking about obedience, we know that we are in him. Family, these are the evidences that you and I truly know Christ is that there is a sincere desire and endeavor in our life, not a perfection, 
Because you're not perfect, the mailman's not perfect, and I'm not perfect. But there's a sincere desire to grow in holiness and to grow in obedience into the things that we read in Scripture. That's why we study the Bible, so we can learn how to live to please the Lord. Let's look at number three. Number three, the third uh, assurance of salvation. So number one, are you trusting in him? Number two, are you obeying him? Let's look at number three, and I pulled it just from one verse, verse six. It says, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. That, that word ought in verse 6 could, could um, be interpreted, uh, this is the proper response. You know, this is what I should do in light of what Jesus has done for me. And what we should do, what we ought to do, our proper response to the gospel is we walk in the same manner. We, we're called to walk as Jesus walked took a quick look at Blue Letter Bible yesterday, and the, the, the word that's used here to walk, Blue Letter Bible says the definition is this. Uh, you think walk, you're like, oh, you know, walk. But it, it, is, it does mean that, but I, I like to look at the definitions of what scholars say. And Blue Letter Bible says to walk means to make one's way, to progress, to make the best opportunity. You see, the idea behind this word walk, this in 1 John chapter 2, is that you are not moving backwards, but you are moving forward. Are we moving forward in our relationship with Christ? Is there a desire in your heart? And I believe there is, and I believe that's why you're here this morning. I believe people come to Calvary Chapel not out of religious duty or format or it's what we do on Sunday morning, but I believe you, I believe you guys authentically come here because you want to grow and you want to go deep in the Word. And that's a great sign. That's a great sign that you are wanting to move forward in your relationship with Christ. And if we're honest, each and every one of us has room for improvement, has room to grow, has areas of our life where we need more grace, we need more discipline, we need more obedience. But the third question in the assurance of salvation, and, and I base it on verse 6, is this. Are we making it our aim in life to please God? Is that, your, is, that your, is that your goal in life? Is that your top priority in life? I want to please the Lord. That is a great sign in your life that you are progressing spiritually and that you are moving forward in your faith. How about this one? What direction are you going in life? What direction are you going in life? Are you moving closer to the Lord or are you moving closer to the world? I said the Lord, yeah. Are you moving closer to God, moving closer in your relationship with him, or are you moving closer to the world? God says, I love you. I love you. I died for you on the cross. I rose from the grave. I've given you the hope of eternal life. Now spend your life trusting me. Spend your life loving me. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He is eternal life. See, this is not about a religion, but this is about a relationship. This is about a love where he just overwhelmingly consumes your heart. You know, the more you understand the cross, the more you understand his resurrection, the more you understand his life, 
you, the more you understand the reality that one day he's going to come again, it should rapture your heart into a love and obedience for Christ. That's what it boils down to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Love him because he loves you. But we got to walk in it. We got to walk in it, is what John is saying here. We got to walk in it. And when, and when we're moving in that direction, excuse me, when we're moving in the right direction, when we're making it our aim in, in life to please God, and we're moving closer to Him, that is an evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life and moving you towards Him. Let's continue, verse 7. See if you can pick it up, my uh, fourth truth and fourth question based on this passage verse 7 says beloved I am not writing a new commandment to you but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning the old commandment is the word which you have heard on the other hand I am writing a new commandment to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining verse 9 The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause of stumbling in him. Let's keep on for a little bit. Verse 11, but the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the evidence that we should see in every single believer. And it is this. As Christians, an evidence that God is working in our life is that we love. We love. We love. Love is the highest moral duty that you have towards people. What is it after love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and strength? What is it? Love your neighbor. That is your highest moral duty toward those around you. It is the ultimate mark of salvation. In verses 7 and 8, he says, he describes love in verses 7 and 8 as the old commandment, the new commandment, and today our way of life. Family, we love, okay? If anything be said of you, if anything be said of me, If anything be said of the people that fall under my leadership and people that I teach the word, let it be known that we love people and that we care. This is how we roll at Calvary Chapel, is we we love people. And we love people not we, we love people not with our love, even though we love them with our love, but we love them with the agape love that God has placed in our heart. Jesus said in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, and you also love one another. So what is he saying there? Take the love that God has poured in your heart and take that love to other people. Love other people. John will say later here in a couple weeks, we'll be in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. John says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. You see, when I received Christ as my Lord and Savior, man, it melted all prejudice. It melted everything that I had against anybody, 
And all of a sudden, I saw everybody in the world as people that God loves and the people that Jesus died for. 1 Peter 4.8. This one's really good. Above all, love each other deeply. Not just love. Hey, bro, I love you, man. But love deeply. Above all, love each other deeply because the love covers over a multitude of sins. And then 1 Corinthians 16.14, one of the shortest verses in the Bible. It says, do everything in love. Do a word study on love in the scriptures. That, that, that should exemplify who we are to all people, Christians and non-Christians, all people. We, we, we show love. When we become a born-again Christian, it melts away all prejudices. We see all people as one race, the human race, and we see them as people that Jesus died for. And if you walk in hate or prejudice towards anybody, you are walking in darkness, according to John, and you need to get saved. So the first, the fourth truth and fourth question in our assurance of salvation, the fourth truth is we love. We love all people. And, and the test question for you and I is, do you and I love? Do you and I love and show compassion and care for all people? Or are we like the religious Pharisees who look down the barrel of their nose with a judgmental spirit? Let's not be like the Pharisee. Let's not be like the religious folks. But let's show people God's love. Now, we don't compromise on truth. You know, the scripture says we speak the truth in love, but we always walk in love. We always walk in love. So that's the fourth and the final. We're going to see more as, as we move through 1 John. He, this, whole, this whole book is about the assurance of salvation, about walking in the light and not walking in darkness. But in the text that we're studying this morning, he gives us these four tests, these four uh, assurances of salvation. So why? So that you and I can know that we're walking in the truth that we're walking in the truth. Now, in verses uh, 12 through 14, John's going to change things up. John's going to change things up. I want you to see this. I want to bring it up on the screen. And I want to, before I teach through these verses, I want to stress the importance. This is why we do word studies. This is why we do word studies when we do Bible studies. And we look at phrases that are repeated. In these last three verses, John's changing uh, to a different format of writing. And look, he says, I am writing to you six times. He says, I am writing to you six times. And then he uses the phrase, which is underlined in blue. I think you can see it. He uses the phrase, you have, you know, and you are. He does it seven times. So I just wanted to interject that. That's why we do word studies, so we can look at text and we can see what the author is intending to say, to see what the point he is stressing. And the, stru the point he is stressing, he's, he repeats this phrase, I am writing to you, I am writing to you, I am writing to you, I am writing to you. He says it six times, and then he says, you have, or you know you are seven times. So it is as if to say, if you have passed this test, you have these things, okay? So he's kind of drilled us. He's given us a test. He's given us four truths, four questions 
to know that we're walking in the truth. And, the, and he's saying now, if you are trusting in Christ as the payment for your sin and your lawyer, number one. Number two, if you are obeying his word. Number three, if you are walking as he walked. Number four, if you are walking in love, then he's saying these things are true. Okay? So you've been examined. Hopefully you've passed the test. If you haven't passed the test, get things right. And then you can claim the promises of verses 12, 13, and 14. So let's take a look at them. Verse 12, he says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been, your sins have been forgiven you for his namesake. So if you pass that test, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jump for joy. Shout hallelujah. You are truly forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. The death of Calvary has paid the price for your sin. And you're forgiven of all past sin, all present sin, and all future sin. That's what he's saying in verse 12. Your sins are truly forgiven. Experience the joy of salvation, knowing your heart has been made white as snow. Verse 13. The second thing that is true when we have assurance of a salvation is found in verse 13. He says, I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. So what he's saying in verse 13 is he's, he's saying actually two things there, if you see them in verse 13. One, you have overcome Satan. You have overcome your greatest enemy, Satan himself, who operates in the spirit realm and tries to keep people far from Christ. You have defeated his work. John says in another part of this gospel, he says, the purpose of the Son of God manifest was to destroy the works of the evil one. And by your faith and trust in Christ and having assurance of eternal life, you've defeated his work in your life. We've defeated Satan. Not that we've defeated Satan, but we're trusting in Christ, and Christ defeated Satan uh, at the cross. And we get to partake of that victory. And then he also says there, you truly know the Father. You truly know the Father. You truly know the Father. If you are trusting in Christ, obeying his word, walking in the light, walking as, his, as he walked, walking in love, you truly know the Father. This is the plan he has for you. And notice, it's nothing that you do, but it's by virtue of you trusting in Christ and living for him and surrendering your will to him and following in him and walking in love. That's assurance of eternal life. That lets us know with confidence you've overcome Satan and you know the Father. You know the Father. Let's look at the final verse in our study this morning. Verse 14, he repeats that phrase, I have written you twice, and he says three times, you know you are, you have. These are emphatic statements. These are, as a matter of fact, this is true in your life. Let it give us hope. Let it give us confidence as we read it. Verse 14 
He says, I have written to you. Put your name in there. I have written to you, my child, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. The first thing he says there is you are strong. You know that old hymnal? When I am weak, he is strong. You are strong, brothers and sisters. You are strong in the faith when you have these assurances of eternal life, when you're trusting in him, when you're walking in the light, when you're obeying him. You are strong. Understand that and be the strength for another brother or sister in Christ who may be struggling. God's got you now in a season of victory and you're enjoying it. Be that encouragement for another brother or sister who may be struggling and help them along the way. And let's be strong. What do we need to be strong in? Let's be strong in the love of God. Let's be strong in the grace of God. And let's be strong, as the text says, in the word of God. In the word of God. We study the Bible and the scriptures to build and strengthen our head knowledge? No. We, build, we, we study the scriptures so that we can build our hearts and build and deepen our faith and our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the Christian life is about growing. It's about growing and being more and more like him each and every day. And then he, say, he says, um, you've known him who was from the beginning, talking about the Father from all eternity. You are strong. Let's be strong in the Lord. Let's be strong in his grace. The, the word of God abides in you. And, you and, he, and then he repeats the phrase, you have overcome the evil one. Again, we're looking, John is saying to us this morning, the scriptures are saying to us this morning, the spirit is, who inspired the word is saying to us this morning, these are the tests that you can know that you have eternal life, that you are trusting in Christ as the payment for your sin, and that he is your lawyer. You understand that. You have that firmly fixed in your heart. It's not about your traditions. It's not about the Lord's Supper. It's not about water baptism. It's not about whatever else is out there that people do in the church world, but it's about trusting in Christ, trusting in Christ. And then secondly, the text taught, shows us this morning that we're called to obedience, not perfection, but obedience. We're growing in our obedience to him. You, you love Jesus so much that you're, that you're like, man, I'm going to do whatever he says. Not out of a legalistic uh, type of relationship, but out of a love relationship that says, I love you, therefore I want to obey you. And then we walk as he walked. You know, how we live out our daily lives. We can't put on the Christian face and persona on Sunday morning and then go out and live like the devil Monday through um, Saturday. But our daily walk needs to represent who Christ is. And then our love. We need to deeply, John says, we need to deeply love one another. Now, we need to love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. But as I was studying this text this week, the emphasis that John is putting in this epistle He's stressing, because it's easy to say we love God. It's easy to say we have this heart affection towards him and that we love him. But where, 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 where the rubber meets the road 
is when we love each other. Because sometimes people can be difficult to love. Sometimes people can be a challenge. But we have to grow in our love for each other. Embrace and celebrate our differences and love each other. You know, it's, it's that when a Christian is struggling and sometimes they're tempted to throw the towel in, you know, what will win them back is a brother or sister who comes along and does what? Love them. Love them, encourage them, and help them along the way. And let's do that for our brothers and sisters. Because one day you might be on the opposite end. You might be worn out, beat down, ready to throw the towel in, just frustrated and mad and upset at everything that's going on in life. And what will you need? A brother or sister who will come along and will love you. Let's do that, church family. And then we can know for sure. We can know with confidence. There's no doubt. We're locked, cocked. We've looked up under the hood. All is well. Let's live out this life for the Lord Jesus Christ and know when that day comes, whether it's tomorrow or 50 years from now, that when we step into eternity, we'll see our Savior face to face. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you for um, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Father, encourage your people. Help us, Lord, to know that we, we are truly in you, that we are abiding in you, Father. Help each and every one of us, Father, to, to, to examine our heart. And if we see areas that need work, we pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that you'll help us to grow in those areas. And you'll help us to get those areas right before you, Lord. You said you would not leave us, you would not abandon us, but you would send your Holy Spirit to help us in these areas of life. So Lord, let us indeed live the Spirit-filled life. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to do your work in our hearts to get the things right that need to be right so that we can walk with assurance of salvation. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name.